Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of October 19th through October the 25th. Hope that you're all doing well out there. Um, I'm recording this today uh, right as the moon is becoming new again at 23 degrees of Libra. Um, so happy new moon to all of you out there. Uh, it is conjoining the very fortunate fixed star Spica, despite being opposed to a retrograde Mars and squared Saturn. So uh, a little bit of uh, challenges, but also some beneficial energy coming from the realm of the fixed stars. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the square with Mars and Jupiter. Um, Venus has an active week with a trine to Jupiter and a trine to Pluto and also a trine to Saturn. So Venus is going to be making contact with all those Capricorn planets this week. Um, we're going to be talking about the Mercury retrograde uh, opposition to Uranus, uh, revisiting some of the themes that we were experiencing a few weeks ago. And then we'll talk about the sun moving into Scorpio on Thursday, the 22nd. All right, so let's take a look at our planetary condition here and see what we can figure out. All right, so just a little, yeah, a little recap of what our last week was. We've been, you know, we had that new moon that we're experiencing as I'm recording this on Friday. Um, we had a competing town hall last week, uh, yesterday, I guess, as I'm recording this, but uh, that was, I don't know how it was. I didn't watch it. <laughs> like, I gave myself a break. I already voted. I, I sent my vote in, or I sent my ballot in. I, I believe a week or so ago. And um, yeah, I don't need to subject myself to any more of that. I, I knew that was going to happen, though, that as soon as, um, you know, Biden agreed to do something where Trump wasn't involved, he was gonna, he wasn't gonna let that stand. And uh, he scheduled his own competing TV show or whatever, because, well, quite frankly, narcissistic people need attention, and they don't like it when other people get get the spotlight. So um, not surprising that that played out that way. Um, we are still in the midst of a, a malefic enclosure as I record this with the sun. Um, we've been going through the Amy Coney Barrett hearings um, as far as the Supreme Court nominee and her confirmation. Um, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of a somewhat of a foregone conclusion that they're going to confirm her um, it seems to me that from what I've read in the news is that, you know, the Democrats aren't really uh, grilling her too hard, really. Um, and she's not really giving much of an answer to anything. So I don't know. It sounds like people are starting to at least trying to uh, I don't know, appear to play nice with one another before the before the election. Um I don't know how that's all going to work out. I, I, we'll have to see. Um, some strange times, though, indeed, as far as uh, where our, our country is heading with our democracy and whatnot. But if you haven't voted, please please go out there and vote and do your civic duty. Uh, I think it's very important to uh, exercise that democratic right, um, even if you're feeling frustrated or, or maybe like a little bit hopeless. As I said last week, that's the one one act that you can do uh, to make a change right now. It doesn't mean it's the only act that you will do, and it doesn't mean you won't hold whoever you vote for accountable. Uh, it just means that that's the next step that, as a citizen, you have 
to, to be able to enact at least some measure of change, as flawed as it may be. And I, I will 100% admit with you that the system isn't perfect and um, definitely frustrated with how, how things work lately in America. And we do need a, a shift in our consciousness and our paradigm. Um, but that's coming, uh, but one day at a time, right? Okay, so let's talk about our planetary condition. So the sun this week will be starting out in the sign of Libra, moving from 26 to 30 degrees of Libra. It is in its fall. Um, it has just, as if you are listening to this on Monday, it will have just escaped the malefic enclosure after the square with Saturn on Sunday morning. So, you know, the sun will be able to kind of <laughs> bring us some vitality, although it is still in a difficult uh, condition with it being in its fall. It'll be in the terms of Venus from 21 to 28 degrees, and then it will move into the terms of Mars from 28 to 30 degrees. So in the last few degrees of Libra, the sun has a malefic bound lord, which could could lead to some challenges, uh, could lead to some fiery expressions and fiery, um, maybe some severing of ties too. Uh, I had a um, I Ching reading this week that talked about liberation and potentially tricksters being caught in the open. Um, it said to find your center and remain grounded, like we talked about last week with the sun in the third decan of Libra, which is all about maintaining your center within the, the chaos of the moment. Um, it also, the, the I Ching reading had a changing line that talked about severing ties with petty people. Um, sometimes you have to get rid of the people that are, you know, holding you back uh, before you can allow the people that are going to support you to come into your life. And that may be a theme that we see with the sun in the terms of Mars. Um, and that's moving, that, that hexagram is moving from 40, liberation, to number eight, which is unity. So potentially on a, on a national or a global scale where we may be uh, catching the tricksters, hopefully with some kind of, you know, with something that is revealed with our Mercury opposition to Uranus. I think that is a very distinct possibility. Um, and then able to sever ties with those petty people. And, you know, from my perspective, hopefully it's the petty people that we have in in our government right now so that we can move forward with at least some semblance of um, human human empathy uh, as, a, as a culture. So keep your eyes up for that. While the sun is in Libra, it will be squaring, uh, it will be separating from the square with Saturn. It will be making a whole sign square to Jupiter in Capricorn, and it will be still opposing Mars uh, which is retrograde in Aries. The host of the sun while it is in Libra is Venus, which is in its fall in Virgo and in aversion to the sun. So still difficult for the sun to receive um, resources from Venus while it's in Libra. Now, on the 22nd, which is Thursday, we're going to see the sun shift temples or travel to a new domicile, we can say, where it's going to be trying to bring about vitality, awareness, the light of the mind, the like illumination of divinity through the temple of Scorpio, which is Mars ruled. 
So a very different shift uh, of energy. And the sun will be moving from zero to three degrees of Scorpio this week. It is peregrine in Scorpio, which means it is a wanderer. It doesn't have any essential dignity. Now, some some authors say that peregrine is like the worst you can you can have, <laughs> like if it doesn't have any essential dignity. Some other authors are like, well, it's better than being in its fall. So we'll see how that can work out. I, I, I tend to think that it might be an improvement in the sun's condition uh, at this point. Now, the sun will be moving through the terms of Mars from the from zero to seven degrees of Scorpio. So it, it will begin its journey through Scorpio in a with a malefic bound lord. So, you know, it's still going to be some difficult uh, solar significations, I think, this week. Um, the sun will be co-present with a retrograde Mercury, and it's going to be making the conjunction with this with uh, Mercury on the 25th. So we're going to see that Mercury retrograde conjoining the sun, which we call the Kazemi moment or the rebirth of Mercury in the furnace or the heart of the sun. Uh, so we will talk about that too. That's going to color uh, some of the ways that the sun's going to be able to bring about its significations to having Mercury co-present with it in the same temple. We're also going to be seeing an improvement with the aspects of the sun once it moves into Scorpio. And I think that's that's really the biggest um, improvement that we're seeing with its condition is instead of squaring Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn, it will be making a sextile, uh, which is a harmonious aspect of the nature of Venus to Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn. And then it will also be sextiling Venus itself in the sign of Virgo. So an improvement in the way that the sun is having communications with the other celestial wills or the other celestial deities in that cosmic courtroom. So potentially we start to get some relief from some of the cardinal tension. And all of you that have planets and cardinal signs, Capricorn, Libra, Aries, and Cancer, uh, may start to feel a little bit of a, a an ability to breathe a little bit after some of the tension starts to calm down a little bit um, with that Scorpio sun. Now, the host of the sun, once it moves into Scorpio, will be a retrograde Mars, and it will be in aversion to its host, which means it will not be able to witness it um, by whole sign. Now, there is a, a concept called like ingirding um, that Robert Hand talks about that in some of his work, but some of the ancient authors talk about it. Um, I'm sure that's where he, he got it from, but I learned about it from Robert Hand, where uh, if a planet is ruling another domicile that a planet is residing in, there's some sort of almost like secret connection uh, and ability to provide for that planet. So this is a, is a, is a position where the sun is in the same uh, temple that is also ruled by its host, even though its host cannot witness it by whole sign aspect. So we'll see what that brings. There may be a, a, some back channels to be able to get some sort of uh, the resources that you need in Scorpio season, which is the ability to, to sever from things that no longer serve us. Um, when I'm taught, when we, we do some research on Scorpio, a lot of it is, you know, we're in the Northern Hemisphere, we're dealing with the fall, we're, we're in the fixed water sign of fall, where the fall has become very solid right? It's like we're really in that fall energy. 
And the fall energy is where everything is starting to become consolidated, where everything is starting to decay. The leaves are falling from the trees and the tree's sap is starting to slow down and, and the, they're starting to become dormant. So this is a time for letting go of the things that we don't need from the old um, pattern of growth from the last cycle. And, you know, kind of going within and going internal to uh, be able to re reserve enough resources to get us through, you know, a harsh winter. And, you know, if, if like, let's say you have the sun in Scorpio in your natal chart, that may be a theme of your life is learning how to um, let go of maybe things that no longer serve you, like maybe bad habits, maybe desires that aren't really healthy. Um, but that's something that's talked about a lot in Austin Topics book, 36 Faces, is being able to like sever from unhealthy desires in the, in the decans of Scorpio. Um, so that's, that's interesting to think about it in that way. Um, and in coming to terms with death and I identifying with death and, and things like that could be part of the solar um, energy in this particular area of the zodiac as well. Like, um, you know, I have a lot of Scorpio friends that are very good at pointing out flaws in a system and what needs to go. I have one, one friend in particular that is very um, active in the technology uh, world, and he's very uh, adamant about his distaste for things like Facebook and they and the way that they may mine your data. And um, we've talked about that movie I was, you know, talking about on this show, The Social Dilemma. And those are things that actually he's been telling me for many, many, many years is the dangers of, of that data collection that they have. And, um, you know, some of the dangers of, uh, you know, allowing big tech companies to do that. So again, that's just one example of a, a Scorpio sun type of person who is, you know, trying to eliminate something hazardous for us. And that may be, you know, you may have people in your life that are pointing out those things too. And it's, you know, the thing about it that's beautiful is that that is completely necessary. There are different energies in, in the world that are helping to keep the balance of our cosmos. Some of us are more inclined towards patterns of growth and others of us are more inclined to be able to be agents of decay. And they're both equally valid and both equally valuable. So I think that that's one of the things we struggle with, especially in Western culture, is we don't um, acknowledge and respect the cycles of decay enough or the people that are um, the champions of that type of um, part of the cycle. So, you know, give a high five or a shout out to your Scorpio friends or wish them a happy birthday, you know, like, and thank them for pointing out uh, the things that are no longer serving us. Because on some level, they are great liberators. You know, I talked about 40 was our hexagram of the week, right? This really works with Scorpio's liberation. And our, our Scorpionic friends are, are really giving us the gift of liberating us from the things that um, we may not need anymore. Okay, let's move forward to Saturn. Uh, uh, the, the other, uh, you know, malefic, right? Um, so Saturn is in Capricorn. It is 
moving very slow to start the week, but it will be speeding up, but it'll still be hanging out at 25 degrees of Capricorn. Uh, it will be in its own domicile in its own terms. Uh, so it is in the terms of Saturn from 22 to 26 degrees or its own bound, we can say. It will be co-present with Jupiter. It will be squaring Mars. It's making the overcoming square to Mars and Aries. It will be receiving an overcoming square from the sun in Libra, but then it will be moving into a sextile relationship to the sun in Scorpio. It will be making a trine to Venus in Virgo and a sextile to Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. It is its own host. Now, the interesting thing, I've been doing some research this week um, with uh, Firmicus Maternus and reading uh, his work and, and kind of um, secondarily going back and looking at Demetra George's work, who is a great, um, a great astrologer for contextualizing some of the old source texts. And I read her chapter on maltreatment because of the enclosure that was happening this week. And had some really interesting, she had some really interesting thoughts and, and pointed out some things that made me really think about that energy. And one thing I wanted to just point out one little mini lesson while we do the, the planetary condition report here is when we have a planet that's overcoming, like Saturn is with Mars. Um, she says that, uh, and Firmicus talks about this too, um, that a particular planet, whether it's benefic or malefic, can only either do harm if it's a malefic planet from a quote-unquote bad house, which in this case is 2, 12, 8, 6, and sometimes 3. That's, a, that's one that they kind of, some people disagree on. Okay, and those are quote unquote bad houses because they, you know, aspecting was a really important quality in Hellenistic astrology. If you couldn't see something, that blind spot was dangerous. So they're, it's about their relationship to the ascendant. Okay, so this is why they're called the bad houses. And Schmidt talks about this too, Robert Schmidt, um, one of the, the great translators of these ancient texts. So one of the things that we have to think about and, and test this out on your own, because I, I am by no means an authority on this and still learning about it myself. But what Demetra George says and Firmicus says is that a malefic planet to maltreat another one has to be in the superior position, okay, which is earlier in the zodiac, which we can see here that Saturn is to Mars, okay? But it also has to be in one of these bad houses, okay? Because malefics can are, are mostly doing the most evil from these bad houses, quote unquote. And evil, it's not the greatest word for it. Remember, again, this is the Greeks uh, thought about these things a little bit more objectively than we do now with slightly less moralistic judgment. Um, but as human beings, we tend to gravitate towards the, the goodies in life rather than having things taken away. Um, but those malefics become powerful for taking things away uh, in those bad houses. Now, the same goes for benefics in good houses, okay? So like 
11, 9, 7, 1, and 4. And the, the, they can only, some of these authors say that they can only really do good or really good things in those uh, quote-unquote good houses. So the, here's the way, a way you can do this with your chart this week, okay, if you want to test this out. So let's say that you are a Cancer Ascendant, right? So in this case, you know, Saturn would be angular, right? And it would be making an overcoming square to your 10th house, all right? And with, set, with Mars in your 10th house. But Jupiter is too. And Jupiter is angular in a good house. So Jupiter would be bonifying Mars. And I don't think that Saturn would actually be maltreating Mars because it's not in a bad house. Okay. Does that make sense? So it's almost like Jupiter is trying to help Mars out this week more than Saturn is trying to harm Mars. So that's one little nuance from Hellenistic astrology that, uh, that I hope I'm not mangling too, too poorly. Uh, but that's, that's the understanding that I have of it, of the moment. Now, if we switched the chart where we made the ascendant Leo, right? So let's, let's just try it out with another ascendant for one second just so you can kind of see what this looks like. Okay, so here's Leo Ascendant. Now Saturn is in the sixth house, which is a bad house, and it would be maltreating Mars in the ninth. Now, this is my Ascendant, so I can, I can attest to my experience with this. This would also say that Jupiter is not able to bonify, okay, or bring much of any good to Mars, okay? Um, my experience has been this. Sixth house is like, you know, really hard work, feeling like you're a slave. Uh, it was literally associated with slaves. Um, work that you're not getting a lot of credit for, um, you know, just difficulties with your day-to-day -day type of life, accidents, injuries. Um, I haven't had any like, like injuries or anything like that, but what I have felt is Saturn, you know, providing a grind that feels depressing and oppressive. <laughs> like I've just been kind of grinding it out lately. And, uh, you know, it's making me, it's, it's difficult to like feel this kind of hope or new ideas, right? With the ninth house Mars here, it's kind of really like, you know, making me reconsider a lot of my beliefs and how I relate to spirit, which is because ninth house is the house of God. Um, but, you know, in for all you Leo ascendants out there, Saturn is maltreating from that sixth house. You're probably really grinding things out. And you may be asking yourself, and why am I doing what I'm doing? Because that's what the ninth house, planets in the ninth house do, is they're saying, why are you taking the action that you're taking, which is a 10th house signification, like action out in the world. And the ninth house relates to that angular triad. Um, so, so you could see kind of how that, that would work. Um, it's just an interesting thing to play with in your chart. So figure out if you've got a benefic in a good house or a malefic in a bad house, quote unquote, and if it's making contact with other planets, because that's going to really color the way that you may experience that particular transit. All right, let's go back to the condition report. But I just wanted to spend some time with that for a minute because it really does change 
the way that we think about um, the condition of a planet and how we're going to use it practically, okay? Because not all transits are created equal. There's the other thing that you have to consider um, on a personal note, in, if you're trying to like apply this natally, is that one of your planets is particularly activated based on it being a time lord. And you can find that, excuse me, by looking at what house is profected or where the ascendant has moved to. And there's a lot of charts online that can help you with that, but it's basically one year for every year of your life. So like, for example, I'm 40 years old and every 12 years, it comes back to a first house perfection. So this is 12, 24, 36. Okay. So then you go 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. So I'm in a fifth house perfection year, which in my Leo ascending chart is ruled by Sagittarius and the planet Jupiter. So Jupiter is my time Lord. So you can find that in your chart too, and figure out what planet you're really going to feel the influence of. Okay. That, cause that's going to make a difference when you're, you know, uh, taking in these particular transits and these forecasts as well. Um, yeah. So a little digression there, but uh, hopefully something useful. I, I, I like to teach a little bit in my forecasts as well. It's not just a, you know, here's the energy. It's like, hey, let's, let's, I'm going to try to give you uh, the means to, to, to fish rather than just give you the fish. I teach a man to fish, right? I want to um, give you the ability to do some of this on your own and contextualize it in a more useful fashion. So let's talk about that planet Jupiter this week. Jupiter is going to be in the sign of Capricorn, moving from 19 to 20 degrees. It is moving fast now. It will make an exact square to Mars retrograde on the 19th, which is Monday. It will also trine Venus exactly on the 19th as well. So uh, Jupiter is going to be, you know, making a difficult contact with a malefic planet, but making a very beneficial one with Venus. So again, if you have, let's say you have Venus in a good house, let's say a Venus in the fourth, okay, just to give you an example of this, all right, and you have Jupiter, that would put Jupiter in your eighth house, right, right now by transit, maybe something good is coming from your home or your family of origin or your father or anything that you consider your roots, and it is bringing you something good in your shared resources or money from others or things like that. It's really helping out uh, Jupiter in that case. Um, if you put, uh, for example, Venus on the 11th house cusp, this would be for, oh boy, what would this be? This is for Scorpio risings. You would have something where you would be going like this. Uh, you would be moving Jupiter. Let me, let me move this uh clear this for a second. So let's say Venus was here and this was, now we have Scorpio on the ascendant. You'll just have to uh, follow along with me. That would put Capricorn in the third house. Okay. So that's where Jupiter would be hanging out. So you'd have Venus, something, something good coming to you, maybe that you didn't even do anything to earn. Let's, a lot of times Venus is what just comes to us without any effort, right? Good fortune. All right. 
It's of the night sect, which is related to the moon. So something good to you that is attracted to you, that is coming to you, maybe from a group that you're a part of, that is really helping you to uh, move forward or expand the way that you communicate, the way that you relate to uh, the people in your community, your local community even, um, or the way that you put yourself out there into the world. So maybe you have the support of a group to start some, some new kind of communication or like a blog or like a, you know, some kind of new website or something like that. And you've been getting some really great support from your peers. So that's a way that Venus could be bonifying Jupiter at this point. All right. So Jupiter is in its fall, though. That is the condition of Jupiter. So Jupiter is still not in a, in a position where it's super powerful. Um, it will be in the terms of Venus from 14 to 22 degrees still. Co-present with Saturn. Excuse me. It will be making a square, that overcoming square to Mars in Aries. It will be making all the same aspects that Saturn will be making, the square to the sun in Libra. Then it will sextile uh, the sun in Scorpio and trine uh, Venus, like I just showed you here, with the um, Venus will be making the overcoming trine to Jupiter. And then it will be sextiling Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. The host of Jupiter is Saturn in Capricorn, which it is co-present with. So again, what are we going to be receiving what is Jupiter receiving as resources right now? Well, you know, difficult circumstances, uh, contraction, decay, entropy, working with the quality of endurance and time. Saturn is the great endurer. So you may have to, to be able to, to expand, to be able to have hope. You have to really tap into your ability to put up with things that you may not really be super excited about. That's why Jupiter is so depressed because Jupiter is all about hope and about like thinking about the, you know, the future and what they want to build and things like that. And Saturn's just slowing everything down and says, you know what, if you're going to build something, it needs to last the, the test of time. It needs to be done from a patient, um, very like step-by-step -step process and that's the way that you're going to expand. And that, that is not always the most fun way to create expansion, but it is the energy that we have to work with right now. That's what the planets are basically decreeing is what will work the best. Okay, let's move forward to Mars retrograde in Aries, right? So Mars this week will be moving backwards from 19. Hold on a second. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Oh, there we go. From 19 degrees to 17 degrees of Aries, it will make an exact square to Jupiter on the 19th. It is in its own domicile. Uh, it will be in the terms of Mercury from 12 to 20 degrees, and it will be receiving that overcoming square from both Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn, and it will oppose the Libra sun before it moves into Scorpio. It's in its own domicile. Now, as I just you know talked about, um, if you are experiencing this in a in a good house, okay, like if uh, if Saturn is in a good in a good house, it may be less oppressive uh, than if it was in a bad house. And Jupiter may be able to to help Mars out a little bit in the Aries area of your chart out if Jupiter is in a quote unquote good house. So again, check check for that to see if your Mars or the Aries area of your chart 
is being harmed by Saturn or being assisted by Jupiter, because it, it makes a difference where those planets are for how you're going to experience it. Okay, Venus this week is in Virgo, moving from 19 to 27 degrees of Virgo. It is moving fast. It will conjoin the fixed stars Denebola at 21 degrees of Virgo, and then Alkis at 23 degrees of Virgo. We'll break those down when we get to the dailies. It will be making an exact trine to Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn over the course of the week on the 19th, the 21st, and the 24th, respectively. Um, it does have some dignity, even though it is in its fall. It is the triplicity ruler of the Earth signs by day, or the Trigon Lord. So Trigon Lords or triplicity rulers were like having the wind in your sails or communal support or the support of your guild, if you want to think of it from a medieval perspective. It is also the ruler of the second decan of Virgo, where it will hang out for a little bit in the beginning of the week before it moves into the third decan. So this week, we're going to talk about two, two decan shifts um, where Jupiter actually is going to switch decans this, this week. Uh, and we'll talk about that. And, and Venus will switch decans as well. So uh, both of those planets moving into their respective third uh, you know, sections or the last 10 degrees of the sign, which has a little bit of a different flavor than the first two. Um, Venus will be in the terms of Jupiter from 17 to 21 degrees, and then in the terms of Mars from 21 to 28 degrees. It will be trining uh, Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn, sextiling retrograde Mercury in Scorpio, and the Sun in Scorpio as well. The host of Venus this week is Mercury, which is retrograding and becoming Kazemi in the heart of the Sun in Scorpio. And it will be sextiling its host. So a positive communication between Venus and Mercury. Mercury itself is retrograde. Uh, it is in the sign of Scorpio, moving backwards from nine degrees to two degrees of Scorpio. During that period of time, it will uh, we will start the week off with an opposition, an exact opposition with Uranus on Monday the 19th. Uh, it will then conjoin the sun at the, on the 25th, which is that Kazemi moment. Mercury is peregrine in these degrees of Scorpio. And it will be in the bounds of Venus from 7 to 11 degrees and then move backwards into the bounds of Mars from 0 to 7 degrees. So our communications this week may start off a little bit more harmonious, but they may move a little into the more testy territory as Mercury moves into the bounds of Mars later in the week. Um, the whole sign aspects it's making is a conjunction with the sun. It will be sextiling uh, Saturn and Jupiter, and sextiling Venus. Uh, the host of Mercury this week is a retrograde Mars and Aries, which is it is in an aversion relationship with. It is unable to witness its host, but like the sun in Scorpio, it will have that like ingirding relationship, which is sort of like a secret line of communication, according to some ancient authors. The moon this week is waxing from its new moon phase. Remember, we had the new moon at 23 degrees of, of Libra that we're experiencing as I record this. Uh, and it will be moving into its first quarter phase. We'll break down the first quarter moon that is happening on Friday the 23rd. 
at zero degrees of Aquarius and Scorpio, respectively. So um, some maybe some conflict that comes up in those fixed signs. Uh, the moon will start off moving fast, but then it will start to slow down. So we will have maybe some more difficulty manifesting as we move closer to that first quarter phase, which is sometimes corresponds with some sort of existential crisis when we're bringing something into being. Uh, the moon will be in its fall in Scorpio to start the week. It will then have some dignity in the second phase of Sagittarius before moving into its exile in Capricorn, where it has triplicity rulership in the nighttime. It has uh, dignity by face in the third decan of Aquarius, and then it will be peregrine at the end of the week in the sign of Pisces. Um, so yeah, what we're trying to manifest with the moon over this lunar cycle is how do we maintain our peaceful center as things uh, become disruptive around us? Uh, it is on the fixed star Spica. So that is a very fortuitous fixed star where it's, it's about um, you know, either being gifted something or sharing our talents or gifts with others. Um, you know, maybe we're attracting support. That's another uh, signification of Spica is attracting patrons or things like that. So this is something where we're really trying to, to maintain our balance, where we're trying to share our gifts, we're trying to smooth the waters and be protected from those wild waves. It was also a star that sailors looked to for protection in the wild um, tidal waves of the sea. Uh, so th there is a, I'm really interested to see what happens in this lunar cycle, because I, I have a feeling um, even though we have this T-square, this opposition with Mars, the square with Saturn and Pluto, um, something good is going to come out of this lunar cycle. And it may be shocking and it may be surprising because the full moon happens on, on Halloween. And it is that full moon is at eight degrees of Taurus, which is really close to Uranus, the conjunction with Uranus. Um, so this is something, a surprise. But I have a feeling it might be a good surprise. I just, I, I'm, I, I feel strangely hopeful about it. And I, I don't know where that's coming from, uh, other than just really feeling that energy of Spica. Uh, and I would say if we think about the other fixed star that is very close to this new, new moon cycle that we're experiencing, is a fixed star called Arcturus, which was all about uh, the shift from a hunter-gatherer society to an agrarian society or, or to agriculture. And it was about domestication and civility. So I think this new moon is really about the gift of being able to move from a more, oh, I don't know, a more barbaric type of expression to being able to be more, I don't know, respective, respect, respectable, <laughs> like more domesticated. For some people, that might not be what you want, like if you're a chaos agent or something like that. But I think that we've had plenty of chaos and getting a little bit more dignity and like ability to treat one another with respect. I'm welcoming that at this point. And that will be a really nice change if that's what we're seeing within this lunar cycle. I think we already saw that a little bit with this kind of that town hall that was happening, um, the dueling town halls, um, you know, the one with Biden, from from all accounts that I've read about, it was fairly low key and, and kind of boring. Uh, one insult that the the some people on the right uh, hurled on Twitter was that 
it, he he's like Mr. Rogers or something like like, and that was supposed to be an insult, which it's it says a lot about the state of our society when, um, or the perspective that people could have on the state of our society when saying someone who is very fairly universally beloved and someone known for treating others with respect and empathy. Uh, it, that's hurled as an insult to them. <laughs> like it was kind of like that person, uh, they were saying that they owned themselves, um, which I agree with because I would much rather have Mr. Rogers as, as a president right now than whatever the alternative has been. And, and from all accounts that I've read is that the, the town hall that was scheduled in the same exact hour was much more contentious and argumentative and things like that. But I spared myself that experience this week. Um, and uh, I hope that some of you maybe did too. Uh, and if you didn't, I hope that you're recovering uh, well from that. I think it's important to stay informed. Um, but again, there's only so much that we can take in. And I really think at this point, is there really anything that either one of these candidates is going to be able to say to sway somebody to one direction or another? I mean, it, I, I do think it is important to stay current with things, but on the other hand, yeah, it's you gotta you gotta kind of choose your how much you can handle, and sometimes keeping your own counsel is, isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, it can it can help you to kind of rest a little bit to be able to engage when it is necessary to really put that energy out there. I think we're we've we've been in a little bit of a lull lately where it's the calm before the the storm i guess with the election and it's a really good time to you know get your get rested up for whatever is to come next i don't i have a you know some ideas about what is to come next i think there will definitely be some confusion around the election with mercury stationing that day and uh, i don't know if we're going to have uh, a satisfactory um you know, resolution for a few weeks, maybe slightly longer. Um, but I do have hope that the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is going to be the birth of a new, um, a new way of approaching society and a civilization and a new paradigm. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And, and I'm, you know, perpetuate, perpetuating the, the, the deities or the daimons, um, both of them for, for that for that positive outcome. That's another thing I've I've started to kind of re-engage with a little bit is uh, being able to honor the planetary gods uh, on the on their specific days. I've been reading a lot about how astrology was practiced in ancient times uh, through this book Jeffrey Cornelius's The Moment of Astrology, and he makes a really good case uh, about astrology being a ritual and not just being um, this very uh, sterile type of thing where we're just kind of like looking at statistics. It, it's, it's about embodying a symbol and like infusing it with, with divine uh, meaning and power and having a relationship with those planets. And a, a real easy way to do that is at the, on the day of a specific planet, and if you don't know the days of the planets, you can. it's pretty easy to look up, but Monday is the moon, Tuesday is Mars, Wednesday, Mercury, Thursday, Jupiter, Friday, Venus. 
Saturn is Saturday and Sunday is the sun, of course. And you can do a little ritual. And, and I like to do the Orphic hymn to the particular planet. I try to do it within the hour of the planet, but I haven't really, um, sometimes I can be super, super early depending on the time of year. Uh, and I, I haven't held myself necessarily to that standard uh, because I'd fallen off the wagon a little bit with doing that because of how early it was. Um, but I think it's a lot of it is the intention that counts and just starting to maintain or, or start some kind of relationship with a planet, can, I think can really make a difference. A lot of what I'm reading in Cornelius is that fate is, there are certain parts of fate that are destined that are not, not as negotiable as others, but there are some parts of our fate and of our experiences that we can, we can shift through our own agency, through our own knowledge, but also potentially through a relationship with the planetary deity and the will of that planet and through a communication. Um, and I think that it's important to, to start to think about it in that way. Um, I've had a really great book club that I've been a part of, and we've read, uh, we started off reading Cosmos and Psyche, and now we're reading The Moment of Astrology. And I, I think we may have, <laughs> I don't know if we've decided definitively, but uh, a few of us want to start studying um, alchemy and uh, reading about the Emerald, the Emerald Tablet next. And the, the theme that keeps coming up in our group is the ensouling of the cosmos or the, the return to a feeling of an ensouled cosmos, a living cosmos. Um, because I think since the Copernican revolution, where we had, you know, uh, we moved from a geocentric understanding of the solar system to a heliocentric one, we, we lost a lot of our, um, I don't know, our ability to see things as uh, being alive and participating with the cosmos. And, and it kind of became this, almost like this dead thing that was just this, you know, inanimate, I don't know about inanimate being the right word, but this, this force that didn't have any intelligence. And I don't actually think that's the case. I think that, that I think nature does have intelligence. And I think that there is some kind of grand design and it's been a really interesting journey, um, reconnecting with that type of thinking. And I think it's something that we can really learn from, uh, you know, indigenous people as well, because I, I think there are a lot of indigenous uh, tribes out there or communities that haven't lost that, that type of thinking, that, that respect a tree as a living thing, instead of as something to be just used as a utilitarian resource. And I don't think we're going to save the climate or the, the planet, quote unquote, or our species, more, more our species. I think the planet's going to be okay. The planet is, like I said, the planet is an organism. And if we don't learn to live in harmony and, and have respect of it as an, as an or living intelligent organism, it will eliminate us. And so what we're really trying to do is save ourselves by coming into harmony with that intelligent being that is the earth and that is the cosmos. And I think that's going to be really important. And, and again, um, there's a lot of really great lessons that we can learn from ancient peoples on how to do that. So anyway, that's kind of what I've been up to with my studies. Also, one other one book I want to shout out before we move into our dailies 
I just on a whim picked up this book out from my shelf. I, I had a, a, a little, um, a time frame where I was, uh, buying a whole bunch of books from the used bookstores and like on astrology, there's a little local bookstore that would constantly get used books in. And they, they'd actually call me up when they got a shipment in and be like, Hey Spencer, you want to come down and check out any of these? Cause they, they know that I'd spend all my money there. But this book, is called Astrology and Religion Among the Greeks and Romans by Franz Cumont. And Franz Cumont was a, um, a professor of religion, I believe, or theosophical studies from the turn of the 20th century. This book was written in 1912. He's one of the translators that uh, contributed, I believe, what is this called here? I have to think about what this... Um, um, there is there was an organization sort of like Project Hindsight, really. Uh, it's it's called the uh, Catalog or Catalogus Codicium Astrolo Astrologorum Grecorum, or for short the CCAG, which was uh, a collection of uh, astrological ancient astrological writings where a bunch of scholars got together and said let's find all the times astrology is mentioned in these ancient greek and latin and roman writings and he's one of the compilers of that and i thought that was really interesting and i've started to read this book um which is a really fascinating uh exploration of the philosophy of astrology and it's really small it's really like it's really condensed. I just started it the other day, but it's a really great way to kind of start to see how people were thinking. Now, I will warn you in the introduction, uh, as many ap academics of his time were apt to do, he really is, is hard on, um, on the type of thinking that is non-scientific, that, that kind of... Um, Insold thinking that we're trying to return to, that it that is uh, non-rational. Uh, a lot of academics from from these periods of time are really like down on that, and and really, uh, you know, are very critical of what they think is mere superstition. So it's interesting to see if you can get past that introduction where he just kind of takes a giant dump on this, like he then summarizes those, that way of thinking very succinctly and very, in a, in a very beautiful and well, easy to understand fashion. So it's like, he's like, here's this thing that I don't believe in, but, but if you can reconstruct it, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. And it, 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 he talks a lot about the ancient Chaldeans. He talks about the author Eudoxus, which Robert Schmidt talks about as being potentially one of the founders of Hellenistic astrology. Um, a really good little book, that little hundred and some odd page book that you can get for like six or seven dollars on Amazon or, or somewhere else if you don't want to use Amazon, I believe. What is it? Uh, I, I've been looking for an alternative to Amazon, but if you have any posted in the comments, that'll be helpful. Anyway. Let's move forward to Monday. All right. And we'll go a little quicker through this since I've probably spent some time rambling here on the condition report. No promises, though. 
Okay. On Monday the 19th, the moon, it moves into Sagittarius out of its fall at 1242 AM. So uh, on the, that is Eastern daylight time. So we're, we're not going to really be experiencing much of a Scorpio moon if you're in the, the East Coast time zone. Um, and we'll be moving from the new phase into the crescent phase. So the moon's already escaped the bond on Sunday. And now we're starting to kind of mobilize resources to gain that kind of support that we need to bring about a peaceful or more domesticated type of experience that we're trying to, to work towards uh, with this moon cycle. Um, we do have a couple very important non-lunar aspects. There aren't any lunar aspects on this day that perfect. Uh, but we do have a really explosive aspect, pun intended, with Jupiter and Mars. Uh, and Jupiter being at 19 Capricorn and Mars retrograde at 19 Aries. Uh, this also is coinciding with an opposition between Mercury retrograde and Uranus retrograde that we experienced a few weeks ago. I'll break that down. And a trine between Venus and Jupiter. So, okay, what are we looking at here? Well, the last time that Jupiter and Mars came together in a square relationship, Mars was direct and Jupiter was retrograde. Now, if you don't remember this, this happened on August the 4th, and this coincided with gigantic explosions in multiple places in the world, one of which being Beirut, uh, where that, uh, I believe that airplane hangar full of like fertilizer blew up and blew up half the city. So uh, we've got Jupiter expanding, you know, martial significations. Now, it may play out in a, in a different way this time because of, of Mars being retrograde and Jupiter being direct, I have a feeling that it may be, uh, Jupiter may be trying to mitigate that martial uh, volatility uh, by being direct. And Jupiter is in the overcoming position. So we may still see some kind of uh, significations that have to do with that explosive uh, energy, that you know, aggressive anger type of, you know, release, but Jupiter has the upper hand and is direct while, while Mars is the one that is retrograde and, and frustrated. Okay. So this, there is maybe an inability to move forward or to release that anger. And it might become repressed on some level, which has its, its uh, dangers uh, on its own. Now uh, I, I was, you know, perusing other astrologers work this morning and one of my favorite on Twitter, and I'm trying to spend less time on social media, but there's a few people I really like to read and, and retweet. Um, you know, S.J. Anderson is one of my favorites on Twitter, uh, along with Amaya Rourke. Those two are kind of the two that I really pay a lot of attention to when they make posts. Um, S.J. was talking about um, Jupiter being in that same malefic enclosure that the sun is going to be in. Uh, as it makes its square to Mars and then is applying to a conjunction to Saturn. And that's going to happen off and on uh, until uh, this, the 7th of November. Um, so we may feel all of the things that we're feeling with low vitality with the sun or the, maybe the uh, 
Leo house of your chart, maybe not being able to move forward in the way that you want it to, we have to extrapolate out to Jupiter at this point. So I want you to take a look at the house that Jupiter is in, the Capricorn house, and also the, the house that it rules, Sagittarius and Pisces, to find where you may feel just like you're stuck, that it's difficult to move forward, where there's feelings of frustration, because Jupiter is caught in that you know nasty, malefic enclosure uh, for a few more weeks for the end of this, um, this cycle here. And, you know, Jupiter, that, this may be another time where we lose a little bit of, of hope, where it's difficult to get something off of the ground, that we have a project that we, we might want to be doing. Um, again, with this lunar cycle, uh, that new moon is squared Saturn. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of obstacles we have to overcome to get to that point of peace first that we are trying to achieve. And we may not achieve it until after that full moon and until after we get an, the next new moon, which will be after the election. So this, this lunar cycle is, is all part of this, this election cycle that we're going to be experiencing. So again, uh, don't lose hope. Uh, it's temporary. Uh, do, do what you need to do to create the, the next positive step, which in America, that is exercising your right to vote, and then see what happens. And if the outcome is uh, unsatisfactory, or if, if someone isn't honoring the election, then we take the next step and we hold that person's feet to the fire, so to speak. Um, so that's what we've got going on with uh, Jupiter square Mars. Some things from Ren Butler's book, he talks about uh, self-glorification or self-aggrandizement uh, or kind of a, what is this? I, I wrote down bombastic bravado. So this could just be where our leaders are, are you know, spouting off uh, stuff or, or the leader <laughs> for the time being is just kind of getting you know, louder about things and, and, you know, trying to tell us how great he is. Um, and maybe on both sides, who knows? Uh, what I have noticed is I was actually watching Parks and Rec the other night and, um, you know, it's, I'm watching season four where Leslie Nope is running for office and she was really hesitant to do a negative campaign ad, uh, which she eventually agreed to doing a, a sort of a balanced one. And then there was a point in the election cycle where the, the, the ads got less negative and more positive. And I think we're heading to that point now uh, in our election cycle where people are kind of tired of people dragging everyone through the mud. And I think at least from my perspective, I want to hear what does somebody believe in? What do they want to bring about? And we've heard more of that in that town hall from Joe Biden than we did from Trump, who insisted on continuing to disparage his opponent's record because I think it's more difficult for him to stand on his own record, which has been pretty bad. Uh, so anyway, that's what we might be seeing with that Jupiter-Mars square. Now, the other thing that we're seeing is the opposition between Mercury retrograde and Uranus. Okay. So we had the square here and the opposition between those two planets. Now this brings us back to uh, Wednesday, the, uh, the 7th of October. That was the last opposition that we had when Mercury was direct. Now that week was the week after Trump 
tested positive for COVID. So we got that su surprising, not really that surprising based on his actions, but you know, it sent some shockwaves through the world. Uh, we got that news as Mercury was making a whole sign opposition to Uranus. Um, but then we were dealing with the fallout with that, uh, kind of, uh, you know, trying to, to see what would happen. Um, you know, Mercury at this point is going to be under the beams of the sun. So within a 15 degree orb of the sun. So Mercury is entering the underworld. So this is when Mercury has that role as the psychopomp. So Mercury was a, a planet that moved between worlds, moved between boundaries. It, it's a planet that doesn't respect the boundaries, like, and it, it rules the, the signs of Gemini and Virgo. So this may be something where, you know, someone like Donald Trump, who is Mercury, has a Mercury-ruled sun, a uh, very strong Mercury in his chart, uh, doesn't respect the rules and, and tries to go in outside of them, right? Uh, so this, on the positive note, this could also be some a planet that is able to move between different types of experiences. Now, in the case of Mercury, the psychopomp, Mercury was able to move between the land of the living and the and the the, the realm of the dead, and so Mercury is right now is going on a journey uh, to to retrieve something, some kind of knowledge. I look at Mercury conjoining the Sun. The sun being associated with the, the light of the mind, with gnosis, with knowledge, with it was the all, it was the divine light. Mercury is going into the underworld to retrieve some kind of knowledge. And it may be working behind the scenes to find that, that revelation or to find what it needs to be able to, to, be able to uh, communicate it to the outside world. Um, but that's what we're going through with, with Mercury right now. Now, the other thing that was happening the last time, this is, I remember now, uh, after Trump tested positive for COVID, there was a lot of, you know, what, what's going on with him? Is he sick? Is he not? But the big news that was getting kind of pushed down a little bit was that uh, we were still trying to negotiate for a second um, relief package from Congress, like a stimulus package. And Trump at the, I believe at the exact opposition came out and said, I'm, I'm telling all the Republicans to stop negotiating and to cut off negotiations. And that sent some, some real shockwaves throughout the, uh, the news cycle and throughout the country um, and some frustration. Now, I, I talked about this the last time where Merc our Mercury and Uranus are in decans of the Zodiac that are concerned with uh, worry about resources. That's where the first decan of Taurus. And with uh, loss and trying to have gratitude for what we still have um, in the first decan of Scorpio. You can see that in the five of cups opposing the five of pentacles. So this, we have, you know, the five of pentacles is the, the American people right now who are potentially suffering or worried about not having enough or not able to pay their bills or not having health insurance, which is, you know, we see figures in this card that are destitute or potentially injured. And then we have Mercury in this decan that is associated with this mourning figure who is mourning the loss of, of these three cups. But there are these two cups behind him that if he, if he uh, 
reversed his perspective and said, you know, what can we actually agree on that will lead us to the path of fulfillment? And I think what's happening in Congress is we're fi they're fixating on what they can't agree on and what is, you know, what they've lost and unable to make that shift to what they, the common ground that they share to be able to create relief for the American people. So I think that what we'll, we'll see that revisited on Monday the 19th, um, if we can use history as a guide, that, that there may be some, I don't know if there will be movement necessarily, but I think that that, that will come up in the news cycle again. Uh, or maybe we see something with Trump's health again, but uh, again, he claims that he's in the clear. We'll see. I mean, Mercury is going into the underworld right now and potentially will be revealing more information. Um, but again, I, I think that what, what we're going to see with that Mercury-Uranus opposition is something with the, the stimulus package, potentially. Um, Venus is going to be making a very positive trine to Jupiter that day. Now, that also gives me a little bit of hope that maybe there's some kind of agreement that happens on this day, because what we're seeing amidst all this junk is a very beneficial trine between both of the benefics. Now, Venus in the second decade of Virgo is trying to create harmony between the union of idealism and a form. Okay, so it's trying to infuse form, a body, with those divine ideals. And Jupiter in the second decan of Capricorn is related to uh, the three of pentacles, where we see people trying to create a blueprint to be able to build a very ornate structure. So we're trying to really build this, this very ornate uh, stimulus package that has a lot of, will have a lot of effect on a lot of different things in our society. And Venus is trying to bring together that harmony to bring it into form. And with this perfection of the trine, maybe there's something that happens along those lines. Potentially, maybe there is an agreement. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. It may also not be completely satisfactory because both Venus and Jupiter are in their fall. Venus, it, there may be some compromises that have to be made that aren't satisfactory to either side, um, but we, we may get something. So that's my best guess for that based on uh, what, what else was happening during that Mercury-Uranus opposition. So in your own life though, Maybe there, t take a look at what was going on around the 7th of October. And if there was something going on there that you need to revisit that may be supported by the, the two benefics having a harmonious conversation with one another. All right. So the, the last thing that's happening on Monday the 19th is that Venus, after it perfects that trine with Jupiter, will move into the third decan of Virgo. And this happens around 3.35 p.m. or so. Okay, p.m. I had an a.m. on my chart, but it's p.m. And, uh, oh, no, that was, that was, uh, no, never mind. Sorry, my brain's floating around here. The, the Venus 
Jupiter trine happens at 3.35 in the a.m., and Venus moves into the third decan of Virgo at 2.30 p.m. So you can see here that it's moved into that third decan. Now, this last face, this last area of Virgo, of that temple, this last room in the, in the temple, it's almost like when you, you're going, it's, imagine the planet is going through the tour of a beautiful, ornate building. And you have to go through the beginning where you're, where you're being told what the circumstances are in that particular uh, temple. Uh, and you're in the middle of the chamber in the second decan where you're kind of solidifying that particular impulse. And then as you near the exit, you have a resolution and you, and you know what it's all about. Well, uh, Venus is moving into a decan associated with the Ten of Pentacles in the tarot. And Austin Kopic calls this particular decan the sarcophagus. Book T and the Book of Toth call it wealth. And its face rulers are Mercury and Venus. Now, its host will be that retrograde Mercury in Scorpio, which it's sextile with. Um, there are some fixed stars associated with this that we'll talk about, one being Denebola and the, the uh, tail of the lion. The other is Alkis, which is the, uh, the cup, the sacred cup. So there is some significations with this particular area of the zodiac where we are trying to leave a legacy. We're trying to decide what stays and what goes. We've come to the very peak of materiality. We've come to the end of an, a life well lived, and we're deciding what we're going to leave behind um, for the next generations to come. Um, before we leave our body and before we face the judgment of Mott at, in the Libra house, right? That's kind of what happens in Libra season is we're facing the judgment of the underworld or of, the, of death. And uh, Venus has trouble in this particular area of the Zodiac because it, she becomes very aware of the, the cycles of growth and decay. And Venus is trying to bring beauty to things, but but we're really having an awareness of this of entropy and of, of the flaws and things and of the the eventually the uh, oh I don't know you could you could think about it as like the, the ugliness of, of of aging, but we have to kind of reverse our perspective if we want to use this this particular um, uh, this deity in this particular way if we want to to acknowledge it we have to start to see beauty in the cycles right. We have to be able to, to uh, respect the cosmic dance of, of growth and then of, of decay and of entropy. Entropy is the, is the quality of something, you know, being able to loosen from its, its solid hold, right? When we're born, our cells are coming together and we're, and we're growing and we're expanding. And eventually we hit a peak and we start to decline. You know, once we hit the top of the roller coaster and then we're going down and we have to be able to enjoy that, that part of the uh, cycle as well. So maybe we find joy, maybe we find an ability to pass on what we've learned. Maybe we see an ability to like give a gift to others, the gift of knowledge, the gift of what we've learned in this material cycle. Um, and this works really well with that new moon on Spica. What is your unique talent? How can you disseminate it and distribute it out into the world? 
how can you uh, resist the urge to preserve something, you know, beyond that, that needs to actually decay? The one thought I had that came up with Venus in this particular decan, and I'd be curious to see celebrities with this position of Venus, is, is the concept of plastic surgery, where we have this kind of, uh, this, this um, the way that we view, uh, we exalt youthfulness in, in American society. And our, we put a lot of pressure, especially on our, our female celebrities to look and act young. And I think that one of the things that we may be able to do with this is start to respect our elders, you know, and, and see beauty in, in the, the, uh, the wisdom that has been earned over time. And those wrinkles, those are things that are earned over time. And we see beauty in that. That, that will help us to live this energy without feeling too depressed. Um, because, you know, like I said, we, we have all these people that are getting injections and facelifts to try to maintain something that is in the past. And it, it, a lot of the times it turns into this grotesque type of, uh, you know, I don't know, Frankenstein type of, of, of experience, right? You know, look at all the plastic surgeries that have gone wrong where someone, is, it's just become this kind of farce of their older self. They haven't really been able to maintain the old self. It's this caricature. Uh, and I think that one of the things we can think about is trying to age gracefully. And I think sometimes aging gracefully is accepting the age that we are. Uh, there was an, uh, an actress that I saw the other day. Oh man, her name is going to escape me. Um, but she was talking about accepting roles that were appropriate for her, for her age and, and, you know, really uh, embracing that. And I thought that was a beautiful thing because we need more representation of of the beauty of aging, I think, in our in our media as well. If we want to talk about representation with people of color, we should also, uh, you know, extend that to different uh, stages of life as well. Um, and yeah, it may not be as quote unquote sexy, but I think that there is some beauty in in every stage, and we can find attraction to to different um, you know ages and stages. So. That's what I would use this uh, this energetic quality of Venus as, and try to really embrace embrace the the, uh, the process and embrace um, embrace the wrinkles. Love love your wrinkles throughout uh, Venus in the third decan of Virgo. Okay, let's move forward to Tuesday. On Tuesday, October the twentieth. Uh, we are going to see the moon making a few aspects. It's going to square Neptune early in the morning. Uh, it will then trine Mars uh, at 8.08 a.m. in Sagittarius. The moon's going to be in Sagittarius in that crescent phase. It will then make a square around lunchtime to Venus and Virgo. And it will sextile the sun in the evening at about 11.38 p.m. Okay, so we are we're seeing a mixed a mixed bag of aspects. Um, Venus is going to be hanging out on the fixed star Denebola. Okay, so at 21 degrees of Virgo, we have uh, this energy of Denebola. Now let's go to our star chart for a minute, and we'll talk a little bit about Denebola. And Denebola is in 
the constellation of Leo. You can see this here. Let's go to Tuesday. Okay. Oops. And here's Venus. Okay. And it's in the tail of the lion. That's where Denebola is, in the tail of the lion. So this is kind of a, a star that was associated with uh, nonconformity, with unconventional types of experiences. And if we extrapolate that out to Venus, maybe we are embracing unconventional beauty. Maybe we're embracing the beauty of, of elderhood. Uh, maybe we are uh, ex you know, accepting that we have some uh, relationships in our lives that are unconventional. This is where we challenge those social norms and values, just like I was talking about with the third decan of Virgo, where we're challenging that social norm of exalting youth. And maybe at this time, we, we see uh, an attraction to, to uh, an older figure in the collective. And we really start to see the beauty in that wisdom. Um, potentially, we could find catharsis through accepting fringe aesthetics. So things that are outside the norm become more beautiful and more attractive when we see the conjunction of Venus with Denebola. All right, this is also about the transition to between the wildness of Leo, right? The kind of barbaric quality to the more refined nature of Virgo, all right? So even though we're in tropical Virgo, we have this this uh, constellation of Leo still in play doing our story. And we're, we're moving towards uh, being more uh, refined to the, we're going through that harvesting process. This is the last gasp of like Leo energy uh, before we move into that harvesting Demeter type goddess of the grain. So, uh, you know, if you're doing an art project, maybe you're, uh, you know, casting a light or holding a mirror up to the processes of, of decay. Maybe you're, you're uh, talking a lot in the collective on Tuesday about what legacy that you're going to leave for others, uh, what kind of uh, new thing that you want to create after you've embraced the releasing of the old, uh, and what are you going to pass on? What wisdom are you going to pass on from this year to, to others? Uh, you know, we're really going through a difficult year. And as we move into the fall and the winter, we're going to be reflecting upon what we've learned and what we've created and what we need to let go of and, and really what it, how that's going to inform the very new, the very important new paradigm we're going to be seeing with the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in air signs moving forward. Okay, let's move back to our chart and we're going to go forward to Wednesday, October the 21st. On October the 21st, the moon moves into Capricorn at 2.43 of the a.m., continuing our crescent phase. Uh, it will be making a sextile to Mercury retrograde at 3.49 p.m. at 7 degrees of Capricorn and Scorpio, and then it will trine Uranus at 6.30 p.m. Uh, at 9 degrees of Capricorn and Taurus. The non-lunar aspect of the day is a trine between Venus and Pluto. So Venus is doing its journey through uh, its connection or through its 
conversation with the Capricorn planets this week. And it's going to start out by making the trine to Jupiter and then the trine to Pluto and then the trine to Saturn. So if you think about this in like a, a thought process, we, we have maybe some gift that we've been given or that we've had to work towards uh, that we've been hopeful about. And maybe it wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. So now we have to think about uh, the corruption that led to that potentially or and deal with uh, the underworld aspects. And then we come to terms with the limitations with Saturn. Now on Wednesday, the 21st, with this com communication with, with Pluto, the Lord of the underworld, with Hades, you can think about this as a, the, maybe we are glamorizing that process of decay that I've been talking about, uh, that we may be trying to attract uh, through in our intensity. Uh, Pluto intensifies things. Uh, this may be about uh, an, a desire. <laughs> like I, I think about Pluto now as abduction because one of the significations of Pluto is, is erupting from the underworld to abduct you know, whatever maiden he had his eyes set on. So you could think of maybe Pluto erupting from the underworld, abducting Venus, our desire nature. So this is Aphrodite uh, potentially at the gate of Hades, uh, you know, creating attraction to underworld or hidden things, or maybe things that are uh, of a more seedy type of character. So we have to be careful not to, to fall prey to like the more seductive aspects of, of our Pluton Plutonic, uh, you know, experiences. So the interesting thing too, and we'll talk about this as we move forward, but uh, Venus is going to be conjoining a fixed star, Alkis, as it makes its uh, trine to Pluto. And that's about, uh, you know, the crater, the cup, the sacred cup, which is um, about carrying something precious or something sacred. So potentially Aphrodite or, has to, or Venus has to enter the underworld or in conversation with Pluto or Hades to be able to, to bring something sacred back from that conversation or that, that underworld journey. So potentially there, maybe it's a bargain with the, the, I don't know, with the Lord of the underworld or with the devil or something like that to, to, to be able to bring some sort of gift back to the world. Uh, and that, again, I, I think this also could be in context with like the, the stimulus package and trying to figure that out and the fallout from that, or trying to bring something to fruition with our election cycle. So, Keep your eyes out for that. Try not to get too jealous in your relationships. You know, you can play out the, the, the Venusian side of this or the Platonic side of it where you could get, get very jealous within your relationships or try to become too possessive or try to use nefarious means to, to create love. Uh, this again, like where we may be trying to preserve something against the ravages of time, but through, uh, you know, nefarious means. Um, just be careful that that you're accepting the, the passage of time rather than trying to resist it. I think that's the the key with this. And if if you do that, there will be a rebirth. And this, Pluto is associated with with rebirth as well. So if you allow what needs to pass on to pass on, you you will be uh, clearing the decks for the the good thing, the new the new that wants to come in in its place. Okay. Let's move forward to 
Thursday, the 22nd. All right. On Thursday, October the 22nd, uh, a number of lunar aspects. Um, Venus will be conjoined that fixed star Alkis that I was talking about, the sacred cup. The sun will be moving into Scorpio uh, at 6.59 p.m. But before that happens, we have some lunar aspects. We have the sun squaring Mars um, in the around lunchtime. Uh, it will also be sextiling Neptune. Uh, and this is a Capricorn sun in the crescent phase. It will then be conjoining Jupiter, uh, Pluto, and then making a trine with Venus in the evening. Okay, so we've got a difficult aspect in the beginning of the day with, with that Mars square. Um, then we may be, you know, trying to escape from the conflict. Uh, and then the moon goes through that, that gauntlet that we've been experiencing for most of the summer here with that Capricorn stack up. But it looks like it ends well with a trine to Venus, with, a, with a, some kind of harmonious conversation with, with the, uh, the goddess of love. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the Sun in Scorpio and Venus uh, conjoining Alkis. So Alkis or Alkes is the, the main star in the constellation Crater, and I will go back to our star chart to show you what's going on there. And if we move our chart forward, we can see that Venus now is in alignment with the, the, the sacred cup here of, of Apollo. That's what we've got here, right here, by projected ecliptical degree. And this is the cup that uh, Apollo assigned to Corvus the crow, which you can see right here, to fill, gave him the divine task to fill the sacred cup. And, uh, you know, that's all riding on the back of Hydra, the sea serpent associated with desire, right? And Corvus failed in its task to fill that sacred cup because it got distracted by the beautiful luscious figs or by material desires. So this may be playing out where we have some divine task. We have to, to leave a legacy uh, and we have to make sure that we're not getting distracted by uh, the earthly form of it. Remember, we really do have an awareness of the peak of physical form in the end of, of Virgo. So we may be trying to leave something tangible for the generations to come, and we can't get distracted by all the, the details um, uh, of it. And we have to realize that what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to encapsulate a divine ideal into that form without getting fixated on the form itself. I think that's really important. We can't get fixated on, on being too idealistic uh, and trying to make something that can't possibly be reflect the perfection of divinity. That's, that's one of the dif difficult things of Virgo is a lot of the times Virgo, if, like, if you have a son in Virgo, you might have an awareness of, of that divine idealism. And there's a constant frustration that it isn't able to be manifested exactly in the sign or in, in the material realm. And we see its opposite Pisces uh, coming to terms and accepting that where Virgo is like, I'm going to constantly refine. I'm going to constantly change the material form to try to get closer to that divine ideal. Whereas in the Pisces energy is about saying, well, 
uh, I'm going off in search of that, the ideal itself. And I have to accept that, that the material form isn't, isn't going to be able to reflect that necessarily. So there is this acceptance in, in a, the area of the zodiac known as Pisces. And I think if we balance out the, um, I, I would almost call it divine disgust that we experience in Virgo with a little bit of acceptance that, that it just isn't possible to, to, to attain that idealism, that's going to help us relax a little bit and have a lot less stress and a lot less um, anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety associated with Virgo placements because of that continual search of refinement for refining something. So just be careful of that and because you may have a task where you have to uh, pass on an heirloom or you may receive some kind of special heirloom from somebody that is important or aged with, with Venus on this particular fixed star. So again, it could be the passing on of a gift or receiving of some kind of gift. But you have a task that is set before you and it's important that you stay focused. That is one of the, the keys with this. All right, let's go back to our chart and, and talk about uh, the sun and Scorpio. So around seven o'clock in the evening, Eastern time, you're gonna see the sun move into the, the sign of Scorpio or the temple of Mars, the nocturnal temple of Mars. Now, this is a double Mars ruled face. Uh, in the tarot, we talked about the five of cups when, when Mercury moved into this, but we'll talk about it again because we see a figure who is mourning the loss of something. Um, book T calls it loss and pleasure when the book of Toth calls it disappointment. And Austin Kopic has termed it a jawbone because it is associated with hunger and desire. Uh, and this is where we are using our solar ability to command or to gain vitality or our awareness of the things that we desire, you know, martial desire that we want to take action towards, towards getting. Okay. Now, as, as I stated in the beginning of this show, though, the, the more refined way of thinking about Scorpio is how do we eliminate Mars, sever the desires that aren't really serving our soul, okay, our divinity. Uh, and we all have them. We all have, they're called vices. We all have vices. So what are some of the destructive habits or vices that you have? The sun may reveal those. Okay. What are we working with um, to let go of? And I think that that's really a great thing to do in Scorpio season is identify any bad habits or vices that you have, any material structures uh, that have outlived their time and work towards getting rid of them. It feels very good sometimes to liberate yourself from things that are weighing you down in the physical world. Clutter is one of those things. This is a great time for fall cleaning and get rid of, getting rid of stuff. I, I really enjoy that uh, type of thing. I have, um, I have a lot of Virgo placements, but I'm a last quarter moon baby. So like getting rid of stuff feels good to me. Uh, I do also have a Taurus moon. So the clutter tends to accumulate around me. It's a weird dichotomy of... Uh, learning how to let go of, of the things that I've collected <laughs> over the years. And they are vast. Um, eventually, 
I'll probably have to do that with books, but that's kind of the last thing for me is because uh, I, I tend to hoard uh, knowledge. I have uh, Jupiter on the fixed star Thuban, which is that hoarding dragon. And um, I like to collect books. I, I am thinking about buying some more books, but I'm res resisting that temptation and I'm trying to consume the books that I have right now and, and process them. So this is a great time to really process the things that you do have and really be, this is here, it's the symbolism is beautiful. You know, if I was thinking about this and contextualizing this and my hunger for more knowledge, I can't get fixated on the books that I don't have. Like in this card with the figure looking at the spilled cups. I have to, to reverse my perspective and say, you've got an entire library, Spencer, of books that you haven't read yet, okay? Probably hundreds and hundreds of dollars of books that you haven't quite consumed yet. So reverse your perspective away from the things that you don't have and see that you have this wealth of knowledge waiting to be engaged with. And that's going to lead you over the bridge, across the river to the castle of satisfaction and fulfillment. So this is a message to myself if I listen to this later on, and hopefully a parable or some sort of anecdote for you, for something in your life where you're, you know, this is, uh, this is the other thing that um, Scorpios are really great at, repurposing old things. And I have a story where I was, uh, this past week, a really nice experience where we have this like 20, five-year-old television. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it was a Sony Trinitron that we bought at like a thrift store because I don't watch TV that much and it's not that important to me. It was just something to, to play a DVD on every once in a while uh, just to show you how, how like, you know, old it was. I don't know if people even watch DVDs anymore. I know we don't very often, but we, we were like, you know what? Uh, we want, need to get something. We need to get rid of this. We're not using it. And I had this conversation with um, my, my dear old father, who's, a, who's always uh, trying to help me out on some level. And he offered to buy me a new TV, <laughs> like, cause that's what, that's how he shows his love. He, he buys stuff for people and that's, you know, gifts is, is good. It's, it's a difficult thing to, um, it's a difficult pattern to get out of. And to not, uh, it's something that I feel guilty about sometimes. And it's something as in my own personal growth, I want to get past, I've really worked hard to get past like, uh, you know, always needing or always receiving a gift or something like that. Like I've really had to say no a lot uh, in that. Uh, and to be able to stand on my own two feet, you know, sometimes when you have supportive parents that, uh, you know, have been able to give you some things. And I've been very fortunate to have parents that were, you know, fairly well off, uh, at least, uh, at least my grandparents were. My dad went through some really tough times uh, as a young person, as a single parent who worked really hard. And um, he's since uh, attained some wealth in his elder years, um, mostly through inheriting his, his parents' uh, money. <laughs> like, I won't beat around the bush with that. But um, yeah. But th th what my point about that, before I shared that very personal detail, is that um, I said, you know, let me do some research first before you go out and buy something that I probably don't need. Um, and I had an old computer sitting around that was 
you know, it's about 10 years old. And it was like a, a bigger screen than I have that I use. And I repurposed that into a, a TV and it, it was able to, uh, you know, play streaming content through the computer. So I didn't have to go out and spend money and you use more resources or like, um, you know, I don't know, put more garbage into the, the, the waste stream by buying something new and then getting rid of a computer and a TV. Like it, so the, and the, the, this is demonstrating uh, repurposing something for a new use, which I have a lot of Scorpio friends that are amazing uh, recyclers or re, uh, what is that calling? What is that word? Sorry, it's getting close to dinner time. So my brain's starting to slow down. Um, what's that word when you re, reuse something? Um, upscale or something like that, right? Like where you ups, up, I don't know what it is. You, you know what I'm talking about, where you take something old and you make it new again and, and you repurpose it. And I have some really great Scorpio friends who are very talented at that. So this may be a great time to look through your house and can you repurpose something that's just sitting around instead of just like tossing it out? Can you use it for something else? Um, can you, uh, instead of going out and buying something on Amazon or, or <laughs> heaven forbid, we actually break up that corporate monopoly and use some other service than freaking Amazon or any online purchase that you're thinking about making, can you repurpose something for that? For that use and keep some waste out of the system. Keep some, uh, you know, not necessarily have to participate in the juggernaut that is late stage capitalism. I think there's some beauty in that. And I felt really happy after uh, figuring that out and getting rid of the old, the old TV. And, you know, we're going to post it online, see if someone wants it, you know, or something like that. And uh, being able to find a solution that didn't necessitate buying something unnecessary. And I really would encourage that because it, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. Do you see that? It's not even just about um, creating growth. It's about creating expansion through uh, the process of entropy and repurposing something old. That's, the, that's Venus in Virgo is where we're saying, you know what? It may not be perfect, it may not be the newest, most beautiful, top of the line, uh, I don't know, smart TV or whatever, but it's something old that is, is still functional, that is, I can find beauty in it. And that was just a really satisfying moment that I had over the course of the last week. And I, and I hope that you can continue, or we can continue to do something like that uh, as we move through Scorpio season, because it will feel good to get rid of the things that actually are just trash, because uh, there are things that we hang on to that just need to be let go of and return to the earth responsibly, if it's something like, you know, that you can't just like bury in your backyard and let decay, um, take it to the recycling center or whatnot. Okay, so that's what we, we're, we're experiencing with this Scorpio sun you know, it is Mars. Mars, like I said, Mars is severing and separating and it, there is a retrograde Mars. Um, so we may be reviewing some things from our past. And even though it, there is an aversion to Mars, there is that liking girding. So the secret ability 
to sever something from our past that is going to feel like a liberation. Maybe a relationship, maybe it's some relationship that's holding you back or some friendship that it just isn't satisfying anymore. There's no law that says that you have to be friends with somebody forever. You know, and this is coming from a person who's very loyal and very hesitant to break up a friendship. Um, cancer, like cancers are loath to give up friendships, even if they're not getting if it's not an equal exchange. And sometimes you just have to realize that something has run its course and accept it and, and, and give gratitude and thanks for the experience that you had and move forward and, and maybe clear the decks for a relationship that is more in alignment with who you are and what your values are now. And, and that's really good to do in this time frame as well. And Mars will be helping to provide that from, from the Aries area of your chart and it may be played out in the Scorpio area of your chart. So keep an eye on that as we move forward. All right, let's move forward to Friday. I hope that helps kind of demystify Scorpio a little bit. And we'll talk more about Scorpio through the decans as, we, as it will move through uh, the weeks, weeks ahead. Um, we'll get to like Halloween and things like that. And you know, being able to, to merge with others as well, because there is some significations with that uh, merging with people in the second decan. And are we are the people that we merge with good for us is something we have to consider too. Like, um, are we are we uh, mutually distilling, as Austin Kopic likes to say, each other's poison? And that may be something we have to examine as we move forward through Scorpio season. All right. So on Friday, October the 23rd, the moon will move out of its exile into uh, the sign of Aquarius at 8.16 a.m. Before it does that, it will make a conjunction with Saturn very early in the morning. Um, at the end of the day, around dinner time, the moon will make a square to Mercury retrograde at five degrees of Aquarius and Scorpio. But the main thing that's happening at about 9.22 a.m. Is a, is a last quarter moon phase. Uh, so the moon will square the sun at 9.22 in the morning uh, Eastern time at zero degrees of Aquarius and zero degrees of Scorpio. Now, first quarter moons are some sort of crisis point, right? Some sort of friction, some sort of uh, disagreement potentially where you're trying to... Uh, bring something into form, the moon, but there is a conflict over it, that there's not harmony between the lights. So in this case, the sun is overcoming the moon. Okay, It's in the superior position. So our fixation potentially on what we've lost and maybe hanging on to the past may be causing some conflict with our ability to uh, move forward and to create peace in our life. That first decan of, of uh, Aquarius is associated with some sort of defeat. We may run into something where we're feeling defeated, okay, where we're feeling, you know what's probably going to happen around this time? I bet that that Supreme Court justice gets confirmed, and it may feel like, what, what are we fighting for anymore, right? And we feel like we've lost uh, a battle, uh, I would say we haven't lost the war, though, if, if your values align with um, with uh, more progressive values and with women's rights, which mine most certainly do. Um, 
And I think that this may be a point in time and that that may be one manifestation. That's just a guess. That's my conjecture, okay, where we've lost a battle. But we have to really uh, take the time to mourn our losses, uh, but then really take the big picture view, which the sun in Aquarius is asking us to do is say, what can we do as a society and a community to move forward after a defeat and after a loss. And I think that's really what this first, first quarter moon is going to be all about is, is how can we get rise above the, the um, short-term thinking and the short-term loss and, and see how we are going to create a more fair and just society from a greater, more Saturnian, the ruler of Aquarius perspective from having an awareness of the outsider, of the people who may have of, are cast out to the fringes by that type of uh, decision. Because there will be people that will lose rights if, um, if that um, Supreme Court justice is confirmed and they, there isn't more justices added or things like that. There probably is some real risk to losing health care, to losing women's reproductive rights, to, I don't know, even, I don't know what's happening with the election and things like that. So um, we, we just have to be uh, vigilant, I guess, is, is what I would say at this first quarter moon. Um, this is also about detaching. It, th th there's the healthy way to deal with this, this square is having a certain level of detachment from that which you really wanted and really, really realizing that there are other alternate pathways to, to the fulfillment of your remaining desires, right? We may not be able to completely, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is. We, not, we may not be able to save everything may not we may not be able to to uh you know reclaim everything that we've lost but if we shift towards gratitude and take that higher perspective and take that long-term view that's when we can pick up the pieces again and start thinking about what our next moves are going to be and I, I think that's really important at this first quarter moon okay um the other thing that's happening on friday the 23rd is that jupiter at about nine o'clock in the evening is going to move into the last decan of Capricorn. Now, this will be interesting to see how the narrative shifts because Jupiter has been hanging out. It's a pretty slow planet. So it's been hanging out in the second decan of Capricorn for quite some time, many, many weeks. Um, so this particular decan is where Saturn and Pluto have been for, for, you know, a number of months. And yeah, this is, this is the position where we had the, one of these, we're heading towards a Jupiter-Pluto conjunction um, that's going to happen in November. I believe the 17th of November is when that happens. And that was when we were seeing some peak stuff with coronavirus, uh, so I, I do think we're going to see another wave of coronavirus stuff happening with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. So please, please take all the precautions necessary to keep your, you and your, your loved ones safe. Wear your mask. Uh, you know, make sure you're doing your social distancing. Uh, you know, you don't have to, to attend all sorts of social events in person um, if you can help it. I, I know that 
everybody's starting to get frustrated. But the fact that a lot of these social gatherings are going to be indoors and in less well-ventilated places really increases the risks. Um, so I would, I would really encourage you to um, think with your rational brain when it comes to those things and your cautious brain. Um, but, but what Jupiter does in this particular decan is it it grants, Jupiter does grant things. It, it gives gifts, but through through our actions, it's it's merit-based. Whereas Venus sometimes is just like gifts of fortune, where it's just like comes to us without us doing anything. Jupiter is what we've earned, I think, uh, with our actions. And we may have earned ourselves a position of authority, <laughs> or we may have earned ourselves some responsibilities uh, with Jupiter moving into this third decan. And we may not actually be aware of what, we, uh, what we've bitten off. Um, this is where if you've been working on any kind of Jupiterian expansion project, this might be the point in time where you're like, oh my God, uh, I have made myself a whole lot of work. And now you are responsible for being the administrator of that work. Um, this is a sun and mercury ruled decan. Um, so this is kind of like about being able to command authority and communicate your authority. Uh, it is called the throne with, from Austin Coppock's book and power and earthly power in book T in the book of Toth. So, you know, this is about an expansion of responsibilities and administrative duties. We may feel the weight of that new position of authority that we've been granted through our efforts. And it may feel a little bit oppressive, so it's a good time to really just uh, buckle down. Uh, you took on this responsibility for a reason because you're capable of it. And because, you know, it is your, it might be part of your fate and part of your destiny to, to really be, uh, you know, carrying that, that load and that mantle. And maybe as a community, we are carrying the mantle of the responsibility necessary to really, you know, beat the virus and to really like, move past it by by doing the necessary contractive things like social distancing and wearing masks and do and and accepting the limitations that we have to finally hopefully move past this thing um in the future so that's what i've got for friday the 23rd let's finish off our weekend here thank you for sticking with me if you've stuck with me this far i know we're probably getting close to the two hour mark here so it goes. I feel like Mr. Rogers today. I'm just really tired today for some reason. It's just, this week has felt long. The sun, my ascendant ruler is still in that malefic enclosure. So my vitality has just felt really low lately, but I feel a responsibility to all of you to tell you what's going on in the, in the cosmos. So here we are. Um, Smash that like button <laughs> if you want to donate to my cause. Uh, there's a donation link too if you want to keep me keep me afloat. Uh, that's always appreciated as well. Plug over. On Saturday, the 24th, October the 24th, the moon is continuing its journey through Aquarius, that first quarter phase. Uh, it will square Uranus at 102 in the morning at eight degrees of Aquarius and, and Taurus. And then sextile Mars retrograde at 5.53 p.m. at 17 degrees of Aries and Aquarius, respectively. Now, Saturday, we are completing Venus's journey through its contact with uh, 
Capricorn-based planets right now. So at 11.40 a.m., Venus perfects its trine to Saturn. Um, so we've got Venus in that decan that's associated with um, old age, wisdom, with leaving a legacy. And then Saturn uh, is in the decan associated with power. So there may be some kind of legacy from authority figures, from people in power, where we may have to accept the limitations of power is, is uh, the other thing that we can see with this. This is about, in, in our relationships too, this is about um, sober and stable relationships, committing to a partnership, committing to a contract, okay? Uh, being able to bring about beauty or cleanliness, one of the significations of Venus, uh, to a dirty or decaying situation represented by Saturn. Saturn was associated with filth. Uh, and, you know, when, when Venus and, and Saturn get together, you've got a Marie Kondo type of situation where you are like, you, know, you love going into these dirty, you know, cluttered situations and creating order and beauty from it through getting rid of stuff. <laughs> so like, so Marie Kondo, you know, your house, uh, you know, the, the tidy it up, get rid of what's no longer serving you with this Venus Saturn uh, trine. Um, yeah, this is, this is a great time to perform that ritual, which is Venus is associated with ritual, the ritual of letting go of ending something that could also be like setting healthy boundaries within your relationships too. And saying, you know what, this is, this is the limit. And this is what I need to have respected. Uh, and, and, being loyal to and faithful to that limit. That's something that we are, we do when we're in relationships is we make contracts with one another, which is Saturn binding, right? And then we, we respect them and we ritualize them through our relationships and through our, the commitments that we've agreed upon with our partners. So this may be a time to really think about those commitments and, and reaffirm uh, them or recommit to them as well. So that's what we've got going on on Saturday, the 24th. Now, this may lead to a little bit of some loneliness uh, or potentially a harmonious parting or a harmonious ending. This could be a time where you finally just let go of something and, and you, you say, uh, I, you know, like Marie Kondo would do, say, thank you for your service in my life if it's a physical object, and then they send it on its way. And you could say that with some, uh, that can be true of relationships too. You could be like, you know what? We had a really great run and I learned a lot and now it's time to move forward to something else. That could be another experience that you, you could be having with this. All right, let's move forward to Sunday and finish out our report. On Sunday, October the 25th, the moon moves from Aquarius into Pisces, uh, it moves into Pisces at 5.18 p.m. Eastern time, continuing and ending that first quarter phase. Uh, it will be making, the moon will be making a trine to Mercury retrograde at 9.59 p.m. in the evening uh, at two degrees of Pisces and Scorpio, pretty close to the fixed star Fomahalt at, at four or five degrees Pisces. And then the moon will trine the sun at three degrees of Pisces and Scorpio at 11.30 p.m. Um, the big news of the day, the last big thing we got to deal with here is at around 2.23 p.m., Mercury will make its Kazemi or its conjunction, its inferior conjunction with the sun. 
Okay, so here we see it right here. So Mercury is in the heart of the sun. It's within, it's, it's conjoining it. And that Kazemi, there's different authors give it different orbs. The, I believe the, the mm, I can't remember off the top of my head. I believe that the Hellenistic authors gave it an orb of like one degree and the medieval authors of 17 minutes. I could be flipping that around, but that's my basic understanding, I think. Um, and this is the rebirth of Mercury. Mercury has gotten to that light of Gnosis. Uh, and it's this, we're going to see the stimulation of that hunger of the mind, right? If we talk about that first decan as being hunger, the jawbone, as Austin Kopic talks about it, this is where we may be hungering for more knowledge, more communication, more, uh, you know, ability to communicate uh, our desires, but also communicate how we want to leave what no longer serves us behind. We may get some real uh, illumination. That sun is illuminating us from our higher mind, from our soul, from our spirit. Um, we may get some knowledge about how we can eliminate negative thought patterns, negative habits, negative vices. So this may be the moment on Sunday where you're like, aha, I've, I know what I've been, what has been holding me back. And it may be something from the past. This may be that aha, aha moment where you're like, I know what I have to release now. I really think that, that that's what this Kazemi moment is about. Um, so this may be revealing something hidden from your past uh, as well. Uh, Mercury is in that psychopomp phase where it is dived into the underworld. It is not visible in the sky when it's under the sun's beams. So it is journeying into that into to Tartarus, right? Or into the underworld, um, trying to, to recover something by being in that heart of the sun. Now it will... Uh, you might also, this might also be an awareness of the motivations of others too, with it moving through Scorpio. Like this is about emotional bonds that we have with people too. We may see some unhealthy emotional bond that we have with someone that needs to be eliminated. Um, Mercurial station direct on November the 3rd, election day at 25 degrees of Libra. Uh, but this is, this is conjoined a fixed star called Mia Placidus which is the beta star or the second brightest star in the constellation Carino, which is part of the Argo. And the Argo was associated with wanderlust, with traveling in the mind. Uh, so there, that may be part of this as well. We may feel like we are, want to do some traveling, um, but some inner journeying. And we can see, let's see. If we look and we eliminate the horizon here, we can see down here, there's the Argo right here. It's below the horizon at this point in time. Um, there's Canopus, believe me, a Placidus. I don't know. I'd have to search around for it, but it's uh, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So it's in. It's like it looks like it's in an oar. So this may be where we're trying to steer the ship. And, and like the Argo is all about, it's, it's kind of like the Starship Enterprise where we're boldly going where no one has gone before, right? So maybe we're going into the depths of our minds and the depths of our memories with Mercury retrograde and really trying to ferret out uh, and eliminate some kind of habit or pattern that doesn't serve us anymore. And you, you really are getting some awareness with this 
after you've gone on that journey with this conjunction with the sun. So this is a, a really nice moment to, to re-examine your past, your history, where, and, and whatever, the, the, um, whatever house is represented in your chart. Okay, so like here, in this Aquarius rising chart, just randomly, we have Scorpio on the 10th house cusp. So you may be, if you have an Aquarius rising, you may be reviewing something from the past in your, your work or in the way that you relate to society or in relationship to your mother, because uh, that was one of the significations of the 10th house as well. Um, if it's in the 7th house, you may be reviewing something in your relationships from the past, like your partners, your marriage partner or something like that. If it's the 2nd house, if you're a a Libra rising, you may be reviewing your finances and, and getting rid of a, a spending habit that isn't serving you anymore or possessions that aren't really working anymore or a value, okay? So there's all sorts of different ways you could experience it. So that's what we've got for this week. Um, if we're looking ahead to next week, next week on the, it will be the 26th through October, uh, through November the 1st, Mercury retrograde is going to slide back into Libra. Venus is going to improve her condition moving into Libra 1. Um, and we're going to have a full moon on the 31st, Halloween. Happy Halloween, uh, where the, uh, the moon is going to be conjoining Uranus. So that'll be, <laughs> that'll be interesting. We'll see how that works out. And then finally, on Sunday, November the 1st, Mercury retrograde is going to be squaring Saturn. So a little bit of a uh, a quieter week as far as the number of aspects, but that doesn't mean that there it won't be exciting with the full moon, with things coming to light on uh, that particular time frame. All right, folks, that's what I've got for you today. Thanks again for hanging with me and for uh, for supporting the work that I do. You can be a, a really great supporter by making sure that you're subscribing to the channel uh, or to the other uh, Twitter or Instagram feeds that I have. Um, liking it, commenting it, having a conversation really helps to promote the channel. And I always like hearing from you and your experiences. If you want to give a monetary donation, there is a PayPal me link in the description of the video, as well as a Venmo um, account. I'm at Spencer Michaud on Venmo. So if you want to leave a tip, that's always appreciated too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, the best way that you can support the work I do is to reach out for a reading. I just started using a new scheduling app uh, and I've, I've separated out my different readings and different offerings into some uh, different levels of things where there's a deluxe thing where if you want to do a big two-hour reading with fixed stars and decans and your natal chart, that's available. If you want to split it out into different things where you just want a fixed star report or a decan report, that's, that's something we can do too. If you want a little introductory reading of your big three, like your ascendant, your moon, and your and your son, that's, a, that's also available as well. So different tiers of things. And as always, if you're having a financial hardship due to COVID or any other reason, um, reach out. Uh, I, some of my prices can be negotiable. If you need some help or need some assistance, I'd be happy to, to work with you on that, as well as if you need a different time frame. I, I list my times as a certain office hours, so I give myself time to to, to work on the forecast. But if, if those times don't work for you, I'm flexible as far as trying to fit you in within a different time frame. All right. Plugs over with. Thank you for hanging out with me today. Be kind to one another. Do, do the hard work of letting go what needs to let go of and have faith that what will replace it eventually, like embrace and, and really embrace the period of letting go 
without necessarily skipping ahead steps of thinking about what you're going to get because of it. That's important. But realize that if you clear the decks for things, that's going to help the new growth pattern that, that wants to emerge in the future. Okay? So that's what I've got. Take care, everyone. Peace.